0: This message by Mike Pluniac was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. All right, good morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. I think we all just had the same experience as Kevin was introducing that. We were all hoping, I hope he knows who's standing next to him. There's a woman of the church here. Hope you know who that is. (laughs) Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, as we continue our summer series on the Ten Commandments that we have titled, The Good News of Law. And this morning we are focusing on the third commandment, the third word from God to his people on Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is God's word for us today. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I think most of us, when we read the third commandment, we immediately think that this means that we are not to use God's name in profanity, that we shouldn't swear and use God's name inappropriately. Seems pretty simple, pretty cut and dry. You know, watch the GDs. All right, let's go get some lunch. This verse seems pretty simple to us, simple to apply. While the first and second commandments seem all-encompassing about who and how we worship, we get to the third commandment, and it seems oddly specific and pretty easy to apply. I think that's probably because we have interpreted it too specifically. While not using God's name in profanity is certainly an application, that's a very narrow application of what I believe is a much broader and principled word from God. I think how we usually think about the third commandment is really just the tip of the iceberg. I read, a, uh, read recently that 90% of an iceberg is underwater. That means when you look out, you see pictures or you look out across the Arctic Ocean and you see an iceberg sitting there, you're only seeing 10% and 90% of that iceberg is below the surface of the water. I think our typical application of this text is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more below the surface of this command that applies to our lives. It goes much deeper than we initially think. And if we narrowly interpret the third commandment as just don't swear, we might be missing Hundreds of ways this command applies to our lives every day. And my goal this morning is to go below the surface. Not just to gaze at the third commandment, but but to study it and meditate and think about it and go below the surface of the command to see what is the heart behind it. What is the principle behind it? Bill taught us as he introduced this series, these, these are principles to be applied to our lives. There is a principle, a heart behind this command that we can apply to our lives. And I think this is the main point I want us to capture as a church from this text this morning. The main point is God's name is above all names and is to be trusted, praised, and proclaimed. God's name is above all names and is to be trusted, praised, and proclaimed. That's the principle behind this command. That's how we keep from taking the Lord's name in vain. And we're going to look at that main point in verse 7 by two points this morning. Each command in the Ten Commandments has a negative aspect and a positive one, something it forbids and a principle that it is commending to us. So the first thing I want to do is look at the positive principle behind this commandment. And then the second point, we're going to look at what this command actually forbids. So point number one, God's name is above all names. This command is focused on the name of the Lord our God. Names are important. One of the scariest things about becoming a parent is naming your child. It's the first thing you have to do as a parent, and it lasts their whole life. So you're jumping right into the deep end there with that task. It, it can be nerve-wracking. People wonder, what if I mess up? What if that really doesn't fit them, you know? And there's all, I've learned, there's all these philosophies everybody uses to name their children. Some people use a family name, or they honor someone with the name. It's a pretty safe avenue to take. Some use biblical names. I just want to encourage you to know the context of the biblical name. Wouldn't encourage you to name them Ichabod or, you know, Lucifer is a biblical name. I wouldn't recommend that to name your child that. Some people wait to name their child until they meet the child and see the child. I I, I heard of one family that had the forms in hand to fill out and they still had no idea what the name is. And they're looking at the kid going, what's your name? You know, we got to figure this out. Some think through all the people, they, they, they think through names and they think of everyone they've associated with that name, you know, hey, why don't we name him Jason? No, no, no. I had a friend in second grade named Jason. He was very annoying. Jason is off the table, you know, like they're going to turn out like anybody associated with that name. Uh, I, I would always try to think through all the ways they could be mocked by their name or nicknames they could come up with. I'd have a list of nicknames, you know, like there's too many nicknames with this one. My wife has a different philosophy. She would find names she liked and then tell me we needed to have more children to fit those names. <laughs> So I told her, I'm not not sure that's how this is supposed to work. And uh, eventually I had to tell her, you're gonna have to give these names away, so start naming other people's children. So I think there's several children in children's ministry my wife has named because we're giving away names at this point. Naming your child is important, and it's also the first act of parental authority. You decide the name. They don't get to choose what their name is going to be. They are given a name by their parents. It's interesting as we talk about the name of God this morning that nobody ever named God. No one gave God his name. God had to tell us what his name is because There is no greater authority than God. There is no one higher than God that can tell God what his name is. God names himself. He decided, this is my name. And when God told us what his name is, his name was meant to communicate truth about who God is. So his name matters. When God says, this is my name, he's telling us, this is who I am. This is what you call me. This communicates something about my character. Earlier earlier in Exodus chapter three, when God called Moses from the burning bush and he told Moses, go to Pharaoh and go and bring my people out of slavery in Egypt. And here was Moses' response. He said, if I go to them and I tell them the God of their fathers sent me and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say? Basically, when I go and I tell them, God says this to you, they're going to say, who is this God? What is his name? And God said to Moses... I am who I am. You go and tell them, I am has sent you. His name communicated. He is the Lord of all. He is exactly who he is. His name was describing his self-existence, that he was not dependent on man, that he was sovereign, that he was Lord, that there was no one greater than him. He was Yahweh. You go to them And you tell them Yahweh is going to deliver you. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. The names of God are not just what he's called. They are what he is like. They describe truth about God. He is the Lord. He is the Lord of hosts, the ruler. He is the God most high. There's no one greater than God. He is the ancient of days. He is the everlasting God, telling us He's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He has no creator. He is the everlasting God. He is the God who sees. He knows everything. He is God Almighty. He is all-powerful. He is the Lord, our righteousness. He is holy, holy, holy. He is The Lord, your healer. All of these names God gave to his people, all of them communicate something about God. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. He is our healer. He is sovereign. He is Lord of all. He is the everlasting God. And now, when he brings them to Mount Sinai to be his people... He is setting them apart as the people of God. And he's telling them, here is who I am and here is who you are. Treasure my name. Treasure who I am. You see, this this command is so much bigger. It's about worshiping God for who he is. It's about worshiping God for who he has proclaimed himself to be. It's not as we imagine him or want him to be. It's about who God has said he is. And as his people, he's saying, treasure my name. Know your God. Don't invent a God by some other name. Don't worship a God by any other name. Worship me. This is who I am. And we see throughout the scriptures, God's people have always treasured his name. We, we value, we, we worship, we praise his name. Look, look at these scriptures from the Old Testament. There's so many. There, there are hundreds of scriptures. This is just a sampling of a few showing how valuable God's name is. Psalm 8.1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 138 verse 2, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. As far as you can see from one end of the earth to the other, my name is going to be great. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Look at that verse. That's the first three commands in one verse in Isaiah 42, 8. They're all connected. He is the Lord. That is his name. Worship no other gods before me. Do not make carved images. I am the Lord. This is who I am. It's not just the third commandment. It's, just, it's not just a negative, narrowly applied to not using God's name as a profanity. There's a value to God's name. We we exalt and we praise and we lift it high. We want the nations to know the name of our God and and we want to praise his name. There's a principle, a heart behind this that, that I believe God wants us to capture. And why this is important is because in the new covenant, as we continue reading through our Bibles, we see God incarnate take on a new name, Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew 1:21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Once again, God is deciding his name. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Even in his name, even in God giving us the name, Jesus is telling us why he came to save us from our sins. His name means our God saves. Acts 4.12, and this name is so important to us. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, when we hear that name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no other name. One of the things, sometimes, sometimes I like to listen to sports radio. And I've discovered they keep having this debate over and over and over. You don't have to know sports to to capture this. They have this debate about who is the greatest of all time. I think it's when they run out of things to talk about They have like this script. They're like, we don't know what to talk about. Just debate for the next hour. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? And they just debated on and on. They were doing that this week for hours. Is it Michael Jordan? Is it LeBron? And they were debating Steph is now the greatest of all time. And they have all these statistics. And I was listening to it. And I just said, I have to give up because no one's ever going to win this debate. There's no objective criteria. Everyone's saying, well, he had better teammates and he had this and this was different time. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, there wasn't a three-point shot at that. And they just go on for hours. And I thought the debate never ends. And then I was reading Philippians 2 and I realized, you know what? The debate is over. Jesus is the greatest name of all time. There is no more debating this. There's no arguing. There's no going back and forth. There's no wondering what name it is. It is the name of Jesus because God himself has said, this is the name above all names. And I want you to know, there's only one name, only one name given among men by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. There is salvation nowhere else. There is nowhere else. There's no other name. There's no other person. There's no other place. There's nothing in creation. There's nowhere else that you can go to to find salvation outside of the name Jesus Christ because he is the name above all names. There is no other way. Only in Jesus can you be saved. And this morning, he invites you to come, to to come to his name, to come to his work on the cross, his death, his resurrection. Come and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and you will be saved. That's what his name means. Our God saves. It's the only name by which we must be saved. And we lift his name, we praise his name, we exalt his name, we proclaim his name alone. There is no other name. God's name is above all names. That's important to understanding the third commandment. It's, it's good news to us this morning in that God is guarding his honor and his glory and his reputation, and he wants his people to know their God. God's name is above all names. And then, secondly, point number two that, that's the main thing I think this morning. God's name is above all names. And point number two is that we are forbidden to take his name in vain. There's a positive aspect to every command. It's guarding God's character and glory and honor. And then there's a negative side, which means we are forbidden from taking his name in vain. Look at verse 7 once more. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He says it twice there, it's repetitive. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. So what does it mean to take the name of the Lord your God? We usually interpret taking his name as speaking to speak God's name. That's where we get a narrow application of just not using God's name as a profanity. Don't speak God's name in vain. Again, I think that's too narrow of an application. That's the tip of the iceberg. There's there's 90% more below the surface of this. To take means to, to bear or to carry. It means to take possession of something. The the, the picture of the word here is that we're, we're picking something up, something heavy, and we're carrying it, and we're owning it, and we're taking it with us. We are taking God's name upon ourselves, and we are carrying it with us, throughout the day. God has just saved them from slavery in Egypt. He has made them into his people. He's called them to Mount Sinai. The mountain is engulfed in flames and smoke and God is speaking to them his name and they are becoming God's people. He is marking them by his name. They're taking on the name of the Lord. And what we see in the rest of the Old Testament is no matter where they go, no matter what they do, they represent their God. They are known as God's people. The surrounding nations knew who their God was because they had taken on the name of the Lord. To take on his name in vain is to make that meaningless and worthless. It's saying, I've, I've taken on your name, but I'm going to totally disregard that you are my God. I, I don't want your name. I'm taking it in vain. I'm not going to worship you or serve you or honor your name. That's what it means to take it on in vain. It's to disregard this God that has called us to be his people. It's to act like it doesn't matter that we are his people. To take God's name in vain is to be his chosen people and then to disregard him. We see this in the Old Testament. Micah chapter 4 verse 5 says, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. We're going to walk in his name. It's not just about our speech. It's about our lifestyle. It's how we walk. It's how we live. They can't claim to be God's people marked by God's name and then go and live as if they worship Baal or, or Dagon or to any other God. You can't do that. You can't serve both God and money. You're marked as the people of God. You have taken on his name. That's why this command was so serious. Verse seven says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Because it misrepresents God. It mars his glory. It ruins God's reputation. Matthew Henry in his commentary on this verse says the main way we break this command is hypocrisy. We pretend. We act. We don't really love the Lord. We don't really care about God. You know, we just, we come, we do our thing, we move on in life and act as if God didn't exist. That's how we break the third command. We live in hypocrisy. We're actors as worshiping God. We don't truly worship him. There's an example, I think that helps us in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example of this lived out in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36. You'll notice the application of the third commandment in this text. So they didn't apply it so narrowly as we are tempted to. They, they applied it broadly. This is a, a Ezekiel 36. God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. So God judges them and he says, I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. How did they do that? How did did they break the third command and profane the name of God? In that, people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. They got judged. God sent them out. He judged them. And it's profaning God's name because they disregarded and disobeyed and rebelled against their God and it profaned his holy name. But God's not done with them. God says, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. And later in Ezekiel 36, God says, I'm concerned about my name. They have profaned it. They they worshiped other gods. They disobeyed me. I had to judge them and send them away. And all the people know these are the people of God. And yet look at what's happened to them. And so God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna change their hearts. I'm gonna give them a clean heart, a new heart. I'm gonna put my spirit within them so that they will obey my commands, not just for their sake, but because of my holy name. So that when they go out and people know these are the people of God, they will honor my name and cherish my name and proclaim and trust and praise my holy name. They were God's people and they profaned God's name by disregarding and disobeying God. As Christians, we bear the name of Jesus Christ. We take his name. What what an honor. What a privilege to be known in Christ. You know, for the early church in the Roman Empire, being a Christian was a derogatory term. Christians thought they were mocking them by calling them Christians, but Christians thought it was an honor. They valued that. They said, yes, mock us. Call me a Christian. I will gladly take his name. I, I, know, I know there are families that are all about the family name. My family growing up was not like that. Maybe it's because I'm a pluniac. I don't know. We didn't really cherish our name. We weren't like I'm a pluniac, pluniacs rule, you know. My dad never dropped me off at school and had that TV moment. Son, remember you're a pluniac. (laughs) Yeah, dad, I don't know what that means, but yeah, dad, you know. We weren't like that and uh, there wasn't really pride in our family name. We really haven't passed that on to our children either. But what we have tried to impart is that to be called a Christian To be in Christ and to be known as a follower of Jesus. The name that is above all names. That is a privilege. That is an honor. I mean, call me a Christian. Yes, gladly. I own his name. I love him. He died for my sins. He rose again. He has saved me from an eternity in hell. He has bought me with his blood. I love taking on his name. And I love telling others the name of Jesus. There is power in his name. I love Revelation 22.4. speaking about when we'll go to be with him. It says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, Revelation has a lot of... Uh, figurative language and symbolism. I don't know if this is like literal or figurative, but I'll take it either way. Like, put your name on my forehead. I will gladly own that. And I don't want to take his name in vain. And, and I'm not talking about perfectionism, that if we ever sin, somehow we defame his name. I, I think we, we will continue to fight sin and battle sin. What, what honors his name is when we're forgiven of our sin. And we receive his forgiveness and we turn to joy and we tell others, Oh, I'm forgiven by his name. And we go to others and we proclaim to them the name of Jesus. Look what he did. He saved me from my sins. He can save you too. That's how powerful his name is. I think hypocrisy is when we don't admit we're sinners, when we act as if we're not, but if we admit we're sinners, That means we have a great Savior and that honors His name because He saved us from our sins. I think that's the main kind of application here is is that, man, what what an honor to have His name. But there's other applications as well. There are other things the third commandment prohibits beyond just our narrow application. In the Old Testament, it prohibited false prophecy. So there were prophets who would tell people what they wanted to hear and they would use God's name. So they would go to the king or to the people and they knew what people wanted to hear. And so they would say, thus says the Lord when God hadn't said that. And God judged them for taking his name in vain. There's many examples throughout the Old Testament of false prophets using God's name in vain. And, and, and we teach this in our new members class. I know you know this, but we believe, uh, this, this doesn't mean we don't, uh, we believe God leads us by his Holy Spirit. We believe we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. And he leads us. And we believe in the gift of prophecy today. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. It's for the upbuilding and the encouragement and the consolation of the church. And we experience the gift of prophecy this morning. But we don't place authority in it. We don't say, thus says the Lord. This is an objective word from God. 1 Thessalonians tells us, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. How do we test it? How do we test the leading of the Spirit? Well, we, we bring it to what has objectively been spoken and we weigh it against the objective word of God. When we say, when we say, thus says the Lord, this is how we know exactly what God said. And we test everything against his word. And, and there's some application here for us today, I believe, because I think we need to be careful assigning authority to our desires and plans and ideas or assigning God's authority to what we feel the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. It might be God, it it probably is God, but we want to be careful not to assign authority to it. And I think we need to be careful with the God told me language. And I think a lot of people use that and I don't think they always, I think they're talking about God leading them or encouraging them or, or leading them by the Holy Spirit, but they'll say things like, God told me. God told me to do this. God told me this. And we need to be careful because when we're using God's name, we're attaching God's authority to whatever we're saying. And if God hasn't said that, then we're taking God's name in vain. I remember talking to a college girl who told me a guy had approached her and he said to her, God told me I was going to marry you. To which I loved her response. She said, God hasn't said anything to me about that. And I was like, that's exactly right. You know, I I think, I think that kind of language can be manipulative. Because it places God's authority. And she responded very well. Well, God will tell me, you know, God will make it clear. And it didn't happen, you know. I think we need to be careful. That's manipulative. It assigns the authority of God to our desires and our plans when we use God's name like that. This is what Kevin DeYoung says. He says, when we claim absolute divine authority... For our human plans and decisions, we violate the third commandment. And we claim absolute divine authority. That's why James teaches us to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we make these plans for today or tomorrow, or, you know, I'd love to marry this person, that guy should have said, but if the Lord wills, because the Lord wasn't willing in that case, but you need to submit our plans to God. That's what he's teaching us to do. We use God's name. We say, if the Lord wills, if God decides, I'm submitting my plans to God. I feel like the Spirit is leading me to do this. I feel like God is encouraging me, but I'm submitting this to him, not placing divine authority in this. If the Lord wills. I think there's other applications connected to that one. The third commandment prohibits using God's name for personal gain, addressing false teachers and authors who who peddle God's word for personal gain, who tell people what their itching ears want to hear and act like God is the one saying that. I think that's taking God's name in vain. God has said who he is in his word. And we want to proclaim his word, not our ideas. There's a biblical illustration of this I love in Acts chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. I'll just, I'll tell you the story. You can look at it later. But it's the story of the seven sons of Sceva. And this is in Ephesus where Paul was doing this extraordinary ministry. Paul, all these things were happening, miracles and, and there were healings and people were being delivered from demons. And, and in all these miracles Paul was doing, he was using the name of Jesus. It's in his name. It's in his power. He did everything in Jesus' name. And these seven sons of Sceva realized there was something powerful about the name of Jesus. And so they started trying to use Jesus' name, but it was really to build their own ministry and to exalt themselves and what they were doing. They really didn't know or believe in Jesus. And so they decided to try to deliver a demon-possessed man in Jesus' name. And I love what the evil spirit said to them. So they tried to cast out this demon and the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know and I know about Paul but who are you? That is a great question. And it says, The man with the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. To understand what happened there, all you got to understand is the third commandment. They were trying to use his name to make themselves great. And, and, and significant, what happened after that? This is Acts 1917, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Jesus is going to guard his name. He's not going to give his glory to another. He's not going to let someone use his name so they can exalt themselves. He is going to be exalted. So we're not not to use his name, claim authority of God in our ideas. We're not to use his name for personal gain. And then finally, it prohibits attributing something false to God. So when we we sing to God, it's why the, the, the words in our songs matter. Because we're singing praise to him and, and we want to know who he is. We want to make sure we're singing accurately to this God, that it's who he's revealed himself to be. We won't, don't want to think false thoughts about God. I've heard people say, I had someone say to me not too long ago, you know, theology doesn't really matter. And you, you want to you upset a pastor, just say that to them, you know? I was like, ugh. Theology is the study of God. That's what it is. It's just thinking right thoughts about who God has revealed himself to be. This is who God says he is. I don't want to invent a God. I don't want to make up my idea of God. I don't want to imagine what God is like. We don't have to imagine what God is like. He has told us. Theology matters. It matters what we think about God. And I think what he's trying to say is there's some finer points that people disagree. And I'm like, yeah, say that. Don't say theology doesn't matter. Like it matters what we think about God. We don't want to take his name in vain. This is what J.I. Packer says. To follow the imagination of one's heart in the realm of theology is the way to remain ignorant of God and to become an idol worshiper. The idol in this case being a false mental image of God made by one's own speculation and imagination. That's where we land if we say theology doesn't matter. We just invent a God and we're idol worshipers. We worship God as he has proclaimed himself to be. That's what he's saying. Don't take my name in vain. I am your God. I have called you out of Egypt. I've delivered you. I've shown you my power. I, 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 You crossed the Red Sea. You know I delivered you from the armies of Pharaoh. You know who I am. This is my name. This is how you are to think of me. And all these things are below the surface of this command. You see the principle behind this, the heart behind this. That's what I want us to capture this morning. Not just a narrow application, but, but the heart behind it of we love God's name. So what is the good news of the law here, okay? The good news is God's name is above all names and is to be trusted, praised, and proclaimed. There's all these things we can do with God's name. We don't just focus on The one thing we're not supposed to do with God's name, you know, when we read this, we think, oh, I read this command and I think there's all these ways we can honor God's name. We can trust in the name of the Lord. We can confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every day we can wake up and we can say, Lord, I am dependent on you. You have proclaimed yourself to be the self-existent God. I'm not self-existent. I'm dependent on you. I confess my trust in your name and who you are and who you've said you are, Lord. We can praise God's name. We can sing praises to him all day long. We can just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. You're so good to me. Thank you. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this house. Thank you for my job. Thank you for these children. Thank you, Lord. We can praise his glorious name. There is no limit on how much we can praise God. There's nothing in scripture that limits our praise of God. It is unlimited. The more, the better. It's why we gather this morning. It's why we sing praises. I love, I just think it's so, it's so kind of the Lord to invent music and singing and lifting our voices. I mean, every Sunday, first day of the week, we gather together and we're going to praise your name, God. We're going to sing your praise. It just sets us our whole week is about praising God and his name. And we can proclaim his name. We can tell others the power that comes from the name of Jesus Christ. I don't want to, I don't want to rob God of the glory due his name. I think we do that when we take credit for God's work. And so all day long, we can say that was the Lord. That was God. We even had a a testimony in our community group this week. One of the members was just talking about a story of of serving and doing something and and, uh, they gave away an umbrella, their only umbrella, and it was about to rain and the rain stopped. And he was like, I got to walk into the store with no rain and then the rain poured. And then I was going out and I was like, well, it's time to get wet. And all of a sudden the rain stopped. And he was like, I think that was the Lord. And we were all like, that was the Lord. Like, that's the Lord. Let's give credit to his name. Let's proclaim. Let's, let's not be afraid to say God's name. Proclaim his name. We can trust his name. We can exalt his name. We can praise his name. We can proclaim his name. There's all kinds of ways scripture tells us to use his name. Let me finish with Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, this morning, we want to praise your glorious name. I thank you, Father, for proclaiming who you are, for revealing yourself to us, And I thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for every person you have saved by your grace. We give you all glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise your glorious name. We thank you. We honor you. We exalt you. We lift you high above all other names in our minds and in our hearts. We give you the glory that is due your name, Lord. So I pray for this week, for this church, that every person here would leave this week and they would enter into the week just thanking you and praising you and honoring your name, Father. So Holy Spirit, would you come and do that in our hearts. Exalt your name in our hearts, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniac during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.